We read the Holy Scriptures tonight in 2 Kings, chapter 5. We'll read the first 19 verses. Our text will be the verses 2 through 4. This takes place in the ministry of Elisha, the prophet after Elijah, as Elijah's mantle fell from the fiery chariot and came upon Elisha. And Elisha now is the prophet in Israel who's the miracle-working prophet. He has raised the Shunammite's son who, was, who died of a heat stroke. He has, in the last chapter, taken the poison out of the pottage that they were eating. He has broken a famine. And now we come to chapter 5. 2 Kings 5, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his sickness, of his sickness, of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, too, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel, And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have herewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou wilt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the, le- the leper. Are not Ebana and Paphar, rivers of Damascus, better? 
than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. May God bless his word to our hearts. We consider the verses 2 through 3. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. We have begun a series of sermons on the unsung heroes of faith, not those heroes that are listed for us in Hebrews chapter 11, of whom the apostle says they are for us a cloud of witnesses. Literally, he's referring to those who are at the racetrack waiting for other runners to come in and are encouraging them to finish their race. Paul goes on to say, we must run the race of faith, and these heroes of faith are urging us on. We're not looking at those heroes of faith, but we're looking to the spectators further up who are unknown and unnoticed and names that we don't remember and we don't sing about them whose faith we must follow. And you remember with me that there are two lessons that we always learn in these unsung heroes of faith, two truths of faith that must be in our hearts tonight. And the first is that faith, true faith in Jesus, does not wait for a big moment. 
does not wait for the gun to be pointed to your head if you will confess Christ or deny him, does not wait till I get married or I'm 25 years old, but true faith lives each moment to be faithful to him and walks moment by moment in life in dependence upon him. And number two, true faith does not draw attention to self, does not draw attention to its deeds, but true faith work points the attention to God, to his work and his deeds. The question at the end of the day for us in our faith is not, did other people see what I did? But the question at the end of the day is, did other people attention be brought to God and to his word and to the Savior who has saved my soul from death? Tonight we're going to look at a little maid. We don't even have a name. She is a slave girl. As a little girl, she is living under the darkest of all providences. She has been torn away from her family. Yet we see in the scriptures that her faith shone brightly. And she made a witness of her faith and of God and of his word. A witness that God used to move kings, two kingdoms, into action and a witness that was used of God to save one of his own, a mighty man who was a leper. And God is going to teach us that the weakest of all means fulfill his will, and God is going to constantly be bringing to us a contrast throughout the passage and sermon between that which men consider mighty, Naaman, a captain, and that which men consider weak, a captive, a little girl. And even more, the passage is going to be teaching us the sovereignty of God. The first verse called our attention to it, that Naaman's success had been given to him by God. Syria's success against his people was sovereignly given by God. We're going to see the contrast between the very dark providence that God will send into our lives, into this little girl's life. It was terrible. And how God sovereignly was working the greatest, the highest, the best of all purposes, salvation. I call your attention to the unsung faith of a little girl, her witness, its rippling effects, and its lessons. We read in verse 2, of a little maid of the land of Israel who was carried away captive and waited on Naaman's wife. The word little maid, if we estimate her age, leaves us somewhere around six or seven at the youngest to maybe nine, ten, or eleven years old. She is not a toddler because she waits on Naaman's wife. She is able to perform task and care somewhat for herself. She has not reached 
womanhood. She is not a maturing teenage girl, or she would not have simply been a maid in Syria. Tragedy had come into her life of this little girl. She has not come to Naaman's house to serve as a maid by her choice or the choice of her parents. She is from Israel and has been raised in Israel Israel, under God's covenant promises, and we gather that she is born then in one of those believing homes that God told Elijah about. 7,000 had not bowed their knee to Baal, and what is more, not only a believing home in a little village, unknown, unmarked, obscurity, but she's there, And she has grown up under the ministry of Elijah and of Elisha. She knows about Elisha. She testifies about the prophet in Israel. She is acquainted then not only with Elijah who stood before Ahab and said no rain but by the word of the Lord but she's acquainted with this wonderful prophet Elisha who raised the Shunammite son from the dead, who caused an axe head to float, who took death out of a pot of soup, but cruelly, wickedly, her life had been deeply altered and shattered, and her little faith has been put to a severe test. We read that a band of the Syrians had gone out. We gather under the orders of Naaman to raid the land of Israel and to bring back spoils and captives. We don't know how this happened. Was she perhaps sent by her mother out to pick berries in the field nearby? And there a Syrian soldier grabbed her and took her so that her parents that night waited or then that day already waited and went to look, pulled away from her family, her parents wondering and searching and not able to find her. She's gone. She's taken away from her family. Or was it even worse did this Syrian band of soldiers enter into their village? Was a torch thrown into their house? Did maybe her older brother or her father die before her eyes trying to defend her and their blood shed? What happened to her mother? We are not told. God willed not to send two angels as he sent to Lot. God willed not to reach down his hand and protect her. She was taken as a slave and now becomes Naaman's maid girl, slave girl. She is a slave in a great house. She is serving a woman of high standing, Naaman, the debonair, the handsome, 
the talented leader, the man that everybody honored, a self-made man who is a leper, only a leper and a sinner. We put ourselves in her shoes. What could she do? She'd been torn away from her family and now in this strange household called to serve. She doesn't know the language. What could she possibly do? And the, and the scriptures tonight point us to not the details but to her faith. She believed in God. The first words that come out of her mouth that are recorded in the scripture is would God or would to God. She is praying in this context that if God wills, Naaman can well be healed. She is believing in her heart as a little girl. She's able to understand this, that her God is sovereign and that nothing happens apart from his will and that he controls all things. Had her father taught her about Joseph and that he had been kidnapped and that he had been thrown in, jail, in a dungeon and that he had been forced to serve Potiphar and that he had come down to serve in, in the prison, the butler and the baker. Did he tell her all these things? Did her mother, in the time that she had with her, explain to her the book of Job and God's sovereignty over afflictions was it their family's custom to memorize psalms? And had she memorized Psalm 46 by this time? God is our refuge and our strength. There's a river among the people of God. Be still and know that I am God. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Were these the words that went through her heart? We don't know. But we know that she believed in God as sovereign and that God had kept her in that difficult time. God was sufficient to keep her at that time. God had worked in her heart a true faith. And now she was living as a slave girl in Naaman's house, the very man who had orchestrated her capture. But her faith showed itself before she spake. Her faith showed itself in that she, by that faith, committed her way to God and obeyed him. The scriptures tell us she waited on Naaman's wife. The text shows us that she was in that house. She was not of that house, but she was certainly in that house. In the nights, perhaps, she would cry out her complaint to God, but in the day, her faith gave her to honor those whom God had placed over her by serving them with diligence. And she said to her mistress, Would God my Lord, that's Naaman. She understood, though a little girl, she understood practically the things of faith. And she expressed the things of faith in her respect or her trust of God. 
toward authority. She went about her life with an amazing reliance upon God. Did she think of Joseph? Who was faithful in Potiphar's house? Did she think of Joseph? Who in a prison with horrible men served them and sought their good? She submitted to the commands of her mistress. She wasn't a beaten dog, but there was an authority over her, which was her God. And as the apostle says in Colossians chapter 3, she served not with eye service as a men pleaser, but as a servant of God, following the will of God from the heart. Just imagine Naaman's wife. How could she look at that woman, according to the flesh, with anything other than disdain? Imagine her emotions. Imagine the memory of her father, of her family, of her mother. Imagine the despair. Imagine how she, if she was a fiery little thing of the hatred that would be in her heart. But they witnessed something, Naaman's family and household, that they could not understand. But they witnessed it. This is why they're going to listen to her. They couldn't put their finger on it. But they witnessed something of God in her attitude toward her trials. Her witness came out suddenly. Now the scriptures want us, I believe, to imagine properly, to picture this in our minds so that the force comes to our souls. This took place in Naaman's house. She is waiting upon her mistress. So we're being told of household duties that she was responsible to perform. Verse 4 assures or teaches us that at this moment in the house, Naaman's wife has others with her, and one went and told his Lord. That is, others were witness of her confession, not just Naaman's wife. And we understand that as perhaps Naaman's wife has others in the home at that time, that throughout all of Syria and throughout the nation of Syria, there's one question being talked about, and that is Naaman's leprosy. What can we do for his leprosy? It was on his wife's heart. It was on his heart. It was on everybody's heart. This great man through whom, they didn't say through whom the Lord, but through whom God, we are told, has brought us great victories. He's a leper. So that the conversations were, were about this dreadful disease and everyone is bemoaning and in the house around his wife and in her attitude, everyone sees that their idols that they trust in for these things have come up empty and that their religion simply is not made for this. It's not made for such a tragedy. They have no hope in their hearts at all. They stand before sin and death. And their whole life and world is rotting right in their sight. And they have no hope. And God 
as placed in their midst in that room, not a prophet. but a little maid possessing the amazing gift of faith. And in the midst of that situation of hopelessness, is she perhaps cleaning the fireplace? Is she dusting? Is she off in a corner knitting? She's listening to all the conversation. She sees the anguish in Naaman's wife's face, and she says, Would to God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. We are to see that this was spontaneous. It was out of her mouth probably before she had time to think of what she had said. Her place was to be seen, not heard. It was spontaneous because as they talked, she had been thinking. And she knew in her own heart as a little girl the marvelous comfort of her God. Her witness had not been premeditated the night before in her bedroom but it simply came out. The witness of her faith, it simply came out. Out of the abundance of her heart, she spoke. Her witness was factual. There is a prophet of Jehovah in Israel who is up to this. It was not, um, well, you might consider, you, maybe, you might like to think of, well, I've heard of a, a man called Elisha. You, you might want to check it out. It was not, well, I think the God of Israel certainly is sovereign over leprosy, possibly. No, it's factual. Totally factual. It's not a myth. It's not a story. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He is God. He has created all things. He is judge. And He alone is true. And He alone is Savior. And there is none beside Him. Her witness was confident. He would recover Him. The word recover there is He would gather Him in from his leprosy. He would gather Naaman in to his own fold. Leprosy, defilement and sin is not too much for him. The defilement, the corruption, the ruin of your life, the destruction of your life the addictions of sin are not too much for him. He is able to gather Naaman in and bring him in. And finally, her witness was sincere. I mean, spoken 
in kindness. Would God, would if God, the sovereign God, is pleased to help and do this, he was able to help your husband, Naaman, according to his will. She has a concern for her captor. She has a concern for his wife. Jesus is to say, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. May it please God, she said, to work in Naaman what has been given me to know, to know him and his promises in Christ Jesus. There is a prophet in Israel. If he were with him, he would recover him of his illness. Is this your and my faith? Spontaneous, factual, confident, humble, and loving, we testify from our own experience of God's mercies to us, the truth, the truth that there is the Word of God in the church in Israel. And in that Word of God, through a prophet then, there is power to cleanse from sin. Do we witness when we see others consumed in their leprosy of this life of sin and its hopelessness and its ruin? Where did this faith come from? It came from a covenant God. She grew up in Israel where there are only 7,000. It came by the Holy Spirit through the instrumentality of parents into her heart. It was ministered through the ministry of prophets, that is, through the church and her servants. It kept her. And it did more. It served God's purpose to leave a witness of him. We see in the text that her simple confession does amazing things. It moves, as I said, an entire nation. It moves two nations. It produces a chain effect. And as we read through it, I trust you saw that amazing chain effect. Soon, what she has said offhandedly is being repeated to the king himself. And soon, diplomatic channels are open with another kingdom, their enemy, and the king is sending him, Naaman, by, on the word of a maid, he is sending him with a large sum of money to his enemy, the king of Israel, and saying to him, heal, get this man, and heal Naaman. And again, we are to use our imagination. We saw that the maid spoke to her mistress with obviously other people present. 
uh, perhaps a group of lords and ladies, as we said, bemoaning all the problems of, of Naaman. And suddenly she speaks, and all ears are on her. There's silence, and immediately her words are received as credible. Now, when I say they believe them, I'm not saying that per se the grace of God gave them to believe the truth, but I'm saying that the power of God's word, even in the consciousness of men who will deny it, that God's word is credible. They know that it is true. And I like to use the example of an advertisement that I saw on television, and I don't remember how long ago. Maybe you have to be a little older. And I think it was for Merrill Lynch, an investment firm, and the, the advertisement was a cafe on a summer, beautiful summer day with the tables outside restaurant and everybody, all the tables are filled and everybody's talking, different people are talking and enjoying lunch and waitresses are running back and forth and two men are at a table off in the corner, uh, two businessmen and they're having lunch and one of the businessmen is, is talking and saying, well, I'm, my investments and my investor is so-and-so and this is what I'm doing but it's not going very well. Uh, what are you doing? He speaks to his friend. And his friend says, well, my investor is Merrill Lynch, and he says, and suddenly there's total silence. And everybody turns to get the next word. What, what does he say? What does this reputed firm say about investments of the things of this life? We're all ears. What happened here was conversation stopped. What did she say? That's the power of God's word through simple lips when God is pleased to use it. The power of her witness spreads immediately to Naaman, to the king of Israel, to the king of Syria, to the king of Israel. As I said, he acts upon this and sends Naaman with all of his money to the king of Israel. Now it is, I'd just like to make this note to you, I want you to see this with me, that while God's word must be acknowledged even by the unbelieving world, Apostate Israel is harder. Apostasy makes the soul even harder than born in unbelief because the king of Israel, Jehoram, who knew about Elijah, and he is apostate, he is a cynic. He did not turn his ear to what was supposedly said by some made but he only thinks of himself am I God 
Who can do this? So that when Elijah finally hears of it, he says, send them to me, send him over here. Apostasy from the faith. When we begin to walk away from the faith, when the church begins to do that and become cynical, there's no hardness like apostasy. Now what is the point here? The point here for us tonight is that witness made even through the weakest of means, the witness of God and His salvation and truth is a power. It shows the power of the Word of God. The maid said there is a prophet in Samaria who is able to heal him. A prophet is someone who is speaking through whom God speaks His Word. Therefore, she's testifying to the power of the Word of God. She is saying in her witness, we open it up with the Scriptures, she's saying the truth, the Word of God accomplishes God's purposes to whatever purpose will send that Word. We must remember tonight that the Word of God is not a word. It is not a word among many words tonight being spoken in this, in this planet or in this, our society. The Word of God is not a slant on life. The Word of God is not a view that is worth considering. It is the Word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a hammer, saith the Lord, and like a fire that breaketh in pieces? The Word of God can be resisted. They can try to silence it. It can be a great irritant to the world, but it cannot be stopped to the salvation of the church. The word of God spoken with simplest lips can't be stopped from accomplishing God's purpose with that word. And his purpose was Naaman's salvation. Number two, it teaches us that the witness that we bring is a witness to the ministry of God's word. There is a prophet, Elisha, held an office of prophet. There is the office in the church. That's what she's referring to. There's the ministry of the word of God. There's the work of pastors, elders, and deacons. Also through their ministry comes the word of salvation, of hope and deliverance. Through this ministry of Elisha, the needs of this man will be met. The things that he finds impossible to face, his leprosy, God has given the aid in a place. And that place is in Israel and in the ministry of the Word. And number three, she witnessed to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make us whole. Naaman, I said, was debonair, self-made, dashing, Brave, a leader. 
and a leper. At his best estate, man is vanity. We are corrupt and we're dying in sin. But Naaman was one of God's chosen. And God had irresistibly called him, and God begins to irresistibly call him through the witness of a little maid who testifies that the power of the God of Israel is to bring lepers in and to wash them. He comes to the prophet and says, you have to wash. And there's only one washing that takes away sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, by grace, alone, fully, completely, she witnessed to the power of the word as brought through the church. And she spoke of the irresistible grace and power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's our witness. Then who must give this witness? A little maid. For weakest means, fulfill God's will. The lessons tonight are first of all that you and I then must rest our soul in the sovereignty of God. This is a word to parents and little children. What became of this little girl? When Naaman came back to Syria, did he release her? Did he send her home? Was there a day, perhaps outside of a village, unknown village in Israel, when a company of Syrian soldiers rode up and the little girl slid down from the rump of the horse and she ran through the fields and her father and mother saw her coming and they received back their daughter. Did that happen? Or if her parents were gone because if his soldiers had killed them, he would know did he nevertheless make communications to Israel to have her returned to her own people? We don't know. We don't know. We'll have to ask her in that day when all of God's children come home. Each one led perfectly by the sovereign will of a gracious heavenly father in tender mercy rest in the sovereignty of God. Let us not become embittered when he tears up our way and gives us only darkness to see and despair to drink. Let us hope to the end for the salvation of the Lord. He is of great pity and he is working through all things. Number two, 
Let's learn tonight the importance of our witness. Let's not be silent. Let us not speak simply to argue. Let us not lash out. Let us not open our mouth at all if our life shows disrespect for God-given authority. Let us not be ashamed, but let us speak of the things that we most assuredly believe, the Holy Scriptures and Jesus Christ, the Savior of grace. And let us speak sincerely out of kindness and let them know what the Lord has done for your soul you don't know. God will not always show you. He seldom shows you. Did he even show this little girl what came of her testimony? We don't know. You don't know where that word's going to go. But Jesus said, it is not you that speak. It is the Spirit in you. And then the third lesson, let us learn that God is directing our lives for His purpose. Also in dark providences. And let us learn that God's purposes are not just about you or me. They are bigger. He has purposes in your life but you see, he has purposes in your life which are bigger than you. His purposes are always the glory of his name, the spread of his truth, the accomplishing the, the salvation of his people. Those are his purposes. We are to remember that most people in our society today will know nothing of the Bible at all except what they are reading in our own lives, especially in how we respond to adversity. They will see the Bible. They probably are not going to read the Bible. God will direct our life through both blessing and troubles in order that His grace might be seen in you. And when it is seen in you, He will use that for his own purposes. For he knows his namens. Therefore your life matters. Our life matters and our faith matters. And may we be assured by his grace. That even if he brings us dark days. A witness is left. And we pray that God will use that witness to serve to his glory and to the salvation of his church. As we live to the day when God will gather us in. And then he will show us what he accomplished. Amen.
we have only stammered of thy word, thy word so rich and free and good. We have heard of the faith of a little maid. We have seen that thou art not a man, that thou art God, that thy purposes are accomplished through the weakest of means, that even in the darkest of days, the light of thy grace is shining through Jesus Christ. Help us in this week. Bless our summer Bible school and bless each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.